So I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And our scripture will be read this morning by one of our elders, Jill Nugent. Jill Nugent's going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 3. And so as you're finding that in your Bible, let's listen together to the word of the Lord. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could not barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was laying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not know yet, did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him, everything hiding, nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he he let none of his words fall to ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> that was not a short passage. Well done. But an appropriate one. Last week, if you were with us and if you weren't, just a brief review, we confronted the idea that we worship a relational God. A God who reaches out and touches us through Jesus Christ and continues to speak to us here and now through the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Last week, we considered briefly the various avenues that the Lord uses to communicate with us. There were four that we talked about. God speaks to us through the larger questions of life, the kind of questions we engage during the Alpha Course. How did we get here? What is my purpose? What is your purpose? Is this life all there is, or is there something more? God engages us not only through the larger questions of life, but God speaks to us through his word, the Bible, the the self-disclosure of God's character, his plans, his promises, the teaching, the correction, the encouragement and guidance that come from its words. God speaks to us through the testimony of the great cloud of witnesses, the history of the church that is the stories of those Christians who have gone before us, and that's why it's so important that we remember and tell those stories and not forget them as God speaks to us through those lives and how he's worked in and through them. And the fourth was that God speaks to us every day through the tangibility, the ability to touch and experience sensory from our senses, the mystery of the sacraments, baptism and communion, but also the sacramental, the sacred and holy moments in this life are ways in which God is speaking to us all the time. And through that consideration, we discovered that more of us hear from the Lord than we suspect or realize God is talking, calling us, encouraging us, convicting us, guiding us, each one of us. But we also faced last week two of the greatest distractions that clog our ears and deafen our souls. The unrelenting noise in our lives, the absence of intentional silence. And for those of you who did it, how did tracking your silence go last week? Was it as eye-opening as it was for me? How little intentional silence there is in our lives. And then beyond the noise that's in our lives, the, the second greatest distraction that we, thought we looked at was the tyranny of the urgent, our perpetual busyness that never ends, that keeps us running in circles because we are never, if you'll forgive the double negative, not busy. We're never not busy. Beloved, if we accept this premise, if Jesus' call for us to abide in him suddenly carries a new meaning for us this morning, perhaps a greater urgency since last week, if we long to exchange the constant busyness of our lives for the fruit that lasts, if we are willing to trade the chaos of our noisy lives for the privilege of our spiritual inheritance, an empowering conversational relationship with the creator of the universe, what we need to Experience, what we need to receive is instruction, guidance, and confirmation as we seek to listen. And this is going to be our focus this morning as we conclude this series. The story of Samuel as a young man, hearing the word of the Lord for the first time as he begins his prophetic ministry will serve as the backdrop for our reflection. Because in many ways, we're a lot like young Samuel in this story. Like Samuel, it's not a question of not hearing anything at all. Samuel hears It's amid the hustle and bustle of life, we hear lots of things. Many voices whisper and shout for our attention. Deadlines to meet, bills to pay, meetings to attend, phone calls to make, emails to return, family to care for, and all of these voices, don't they seem to pipe up at the same time? And as they talk over each other, how are we to hear God in the midst of these many thoughts that come? Like Samuel, we have to learn how to discern which of these sounds is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps, maybe, perhaps this morning, a way to, to visualize it for us, we should think of it like tuning in a radio to a particular frequency. 
Remember before the days of Seek where it would just push a button and it would tune it in for you where you had to turn the dial to get that frequency just right? In that situation, you had to listen carefully and ignore the whole mass of static and strange voices coming in so that you could zero in on the one that you were searching for. So maybe a way to think of it is like tuning in on a radio, but maybe also, as helpful as that is, this analogy breaks down because as God reveals himself through his spirit as he broadcasts, as he sends his message out, how do we know the Lord is speaking to us directly, specifically? I mean, if you really stop and think about it, the Lord is talking to lots of people all the time, right? And maybe you, like me, have had that awkward experience. I think all of us have had this experience that you thought a person was talking to you. You know, you thought someone was talking to you and maybe you were so convinced that person was speaking to you that you even responded back and then that's where it got awkward where that person said, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> How do we know? How do we know that God is speaking to me in a given moment? And this is the first place I want to start this morning. The answer of how do we know that God is speaking to me in a given moment, as we see here in Samuel and in other places in Scripture, is that when God speaks to us, when God speaks to me, God is always the initiator. When God speaks, you know it because his spirit engages your spirit. We don't make it happen. The Lord does. God is the initiator. Over and over again, we see through the Bible, as we do here in Samuel, flip through the books of the prophets alone, and you'll see the same phrase that's here in Samuel come up repeatedly. The word of the Lord came to. The word of the Lord came to. Think about it. Abraham did not call out to God. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. Moses did not seek the Lord's voice. The word of the Lord came to Moses. Gideon wasn't placing a collect call to heaven. The living God dialed his number. The word of the Lord came to Gideon. David, young David as a boy, wasn't trying to strike up a conversation with God. David was tending his flocks when the word of the Lord came to him. And so it also was for the 12 disciples. Jesus initiated. He called them. And so it happens today for anyone whom the Lord chooses to speak to. Beloved, in other words, God always starts the conversation when he's speaking to us. So if we want to think of God's voice like a frequency that we have to recognize, it's less like a radio signal that we have to search for and find, and it's more like a cell phone call that comes right to our number. In many ways, it's, it is just a call from an outside line. You know, you're in that situation, and maybe you had this moment and you don't recognize it for what it is, that you puzzle over a problem, and then he comes to you, and you know the answer to it. You only know it because he told you. He gives you, he gives us wisdom beyond our own. You're going about your normal routine, doing, minding your own business, as we like to say, and he comes, and you find yourself inspired or convicted to take some action, to do something. And, and you know the only reason you're compelled to move, the only reason why this detour has suddenly come in the midst of your day-to-day -day business is because he prompted you. God gives us vision and courage that goes beyond the limits that we often put upon ourselves. You know when the Lord is talking to you because he initiates the conversation. All we have to do, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is be ready to receive his word. Just like Samuel just like Samuel here, our posture, our orientation need only be, speak, Lord. 
for your servant is listening. And I'm going to tell you something in case you, get, you go five steps ahead of where we're going this morning. Honestly, if you sit here today and you're not used to hearing God's voice, if you're not practiced at it, and it does take practice, the extent of the conversation that you're going to be having with God initially is going to be as simple as it is for Samuel right here. The starting point, if you're not used to hearing God speak into your life, if you're not practiced at it, the starting point will simply be hearing the Lord call our name and answering as if he were taking attendance. Remember that in class at school? You ever get caught where you weren't paying attention and they said your name more than once? If you're not used to hearing the Lord speak into your life, it's going to be enough just to hear him say your name and for you to recognize that he has called to you. And it'll be enough, initially, this simple, as it is for Samuel to acknowledge his presence and to speak your attention and readiness to hear more from him. That alone will be transformative, radical in your life if this whole idea of God speaking to us is a foreign idea, a foreign concept. This is where Samuel began his incredible career of listening to the voice of God like an infant. And that's what we are if we're not practiced in this. Like infants, he had to learn how to recognize his daddy's voice. If you've had children and been around children, it's that, that's the first moment of recognition Hearing dad's voice or mom's voice. Samuel had to learn how to hear his dad's voice. It tells it to us. He had not learned yet how to recognize the revelation of God. But with time, if we were to continue on in Samuel, with time, as Samuel matured in his listening, we are told specifically in chapter 9, in fact, that he could hear God even when the Lord whispered. God whispered in Samuel's ear and Samuel could hear him. Samuel became so practiced in listening and conversing with the Lord that he became, as we know, an interpreter, a navigator for the nation of Israel through some dark and terrible days. God whispered to Samuel. That begs the question, though, doesn't it? How exactly does God speak to us? What does God's voice sound like? Is it always the same? If we were to search the scriptures this morning, we would not find an official means by which God speaks to every person. What we would find in the biblical descriptions of different persons' encounters with the Lord are a variety of methods. God speaks through angels. God speaks through burning bushes. God speaks through donkeys. God speaks through fleeces. God speaks through thunder and wind. God speaks through visions, dreams, parchments, spouses, prophets, and even a mysterious priest called Melchizedek. The Lord's voice is described in Scripture as a paradox, both as a still, small whisper and like the rush, of my, the rush of mighty waters. But what's interesting, if we were to spend some time, is that while the Bible, what the Bible always seems to tell us, the Bible always seems to tell us the when, the where, and the to whom God spoke, it rarely tells us, despite all these examples, it rarely tells us how the Lord's voice comes. Even in this passage, you notice, Eli is focused very little on the method of how God is communicating with Samuel. His emphasis for the young boy is on how young Samuel reacts to the Lord's speaking to him. For many of us, when we talk about God speaking, we all want to know, what's the method? How does it, we get very, very taken with, oh, I hope I get a burning bush. Oh, I hope I get a thunderbolt or not. But the scriptures seem to say, in their whole, that the point is not the way in which we hear God personally that's important. 
The form or mode by which God speaks to us isn't what God wants us to react to. What matters, what's significant is the content, the message, what he says to us and how we respond to that that matters. You're probably wondering by now, but how do I discern the difference if it's not about the mode you know, thunder, I can recognize that doesn't happen every day. And we don't, you, know, you don't come across a burning bush every time you turn around. So if it's not about the mode, how do I discern the difference between my own thoughts and the Lord's voice? In other words, how do I know that what I'm hearing isn't just me telling myself something that I want to hear? Or how do I know that the message I'm receiving isn't just the byproduct of someone else's influence on me through guilt, or shame, or manipulation? It's a great question. And the answer to both questions is this. We always test what we believe that the Lord is saying to us against God's written word, the Bible. Later on in the New Testament, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews says this, For the word of the Lord is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The first test of whether I've really heard God speak to me is to check what was said against the written word. If it disagrees with Scripture, it's this simple. It's not of the Lord. And this is an important guideline because whether we in the church want to acknowledge it or not, and in our modern age, this has sort of fallen out of fashion, this is sort of superstitious, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, this is an important guideline because there is more out there than the Holy Spirit. There are other forces. The scriptures refer to them as principalities and powers, other forces that seek to masquerade as the voice of God in our lives. These days, you know, it disturbs me a little bit as a pastor. It's not all bad, but it disturbs me that people aren't in their Bibles all that much, but I find more and more people are just fascinated and drawn towards engaging the spiritual realm. People, people in the church who are always looking and listening for angels and the like. And I'm not saying necessarily that there's anything wrong with that. But this tendency has gotten to where some of us want to experience that realm so bad that we tend to see angels and demons everywhere. We need to be clear on this, beloved. We need to be really clear on this. Listening to God, and we are all called to listen to God, for God is speaking, but listening to God never means seeking what we call extra-biblical revelation. That is, going beyond the boundaries of Scripture. In fact, if you think this is just Pastor Chris, I point you back to the Scriptures. Paul wrote some, wrote some pretty harsh words to the Galatians about such tendencies. Paul wrote to the Galatians, even if we or an angel from heaven should speak to you a gospel that is contrary to which we have preached, let him be accursed. A verse later, Paul repeats the very same teaching. Beloved, the idea is, is that when the angels come to visit, and if it's anybody else, you shouldn't be opening the door. When the angels come to visit, we aren't to forget or drop the Bible and receive them without question. Our response should always be, yes, even for the angels, sit down, angel, and let me check what you're saying against the scriptures. The Bible is always the last word. If what we are hearing doesn't line up with the word of God, then it is not God's word for us. Now, if you're tracking with me, and I always try to anticipate the things that you're thinking in your head. I'm sure I miss lots of it, but I try to. 
you may be saying, you know, okay, it has to agree with the scriptures, otherwise it's not the word of God. That sounds really easy enough in theory. But practically, is it that easy? No, not at all. And that is why last week, and I'm going to say it again, and you'll hear me say it all the entire time as I'm your pastor, because it's one of the most foundational things I can say to you as your spiritual leader. This reveals why it is so important that we must not just own a Bible, but we must read it and study it on a regular basis. You are not armed, you are not equipped just because you have a Bible, whether it's on your cell phone or whether it's in your hand. You have to read and study it on a regular basis. If you don't do this, if we don't do this, we are liable to merely use the Bible as a reference check, as a secondary source for whatever we believe we're hearing from the Lord. And that's an inversion. Because the Bible is not intended to be the secondary source of God's words for us. The Bible is intended to be the primary source, the language, the syntax, the grammar from which God continues to speak to us. That's a subtle but very significant shift. We must understand, beloved, the whole of the scriptures and not just parts of them. The whole of the Bible and not just parts of them. Beware of what I like to call fortune cookie Christianity. Fortune cookie Christianity is verses taken in isolation to create or support something we believe the Lord is telling us. And I'm not sure if I said it in this service or in last, but devotionals are great, sermons are great, podcasts are great. But if you're not primarily in the word, you will take those devotionals, those sermons, and those podcasts, and you will create fortune cookie Christianity. We have to wrestle with the whole of what the Lord is telling us through Scripture, not just pieces. To help you appreciate this, let me give you an example. For example, suppose I believed that the Lord was telling me to go and become a pastor. Novel idea. But my wife and kids weren't supportive of this message from the Lord at all. In the midst of all of this, in the midst of this sense that God is calling me to be a pastor and yet my wife and kids are just not hearing it, not seeing it, there's a lot of tension. In the midst of this, I might read the following scripture during a daily devotional. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of a crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus replied, my mother and brother are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Given these verses, I might be tempted to believe that the Lord was now telling me that I needed to reject, perhaps even abandon my family for the sake of Jesus. I mean, after all, if your parents, your wife, your husband, your children, etc., refuse to hear God's word or to put it into practice, that is, live according to it, you should put them, leave them outside your life and refuse to be with them, just like Jesus does. I'm hoping that most of you would challenge that interpretation. I hope you would, most of you would challenge that, that being a message from God if I came to you and said, you know, I've decided I'm leaving my wife and kids to become a pastor because the Lord told me to. And here's the scripture that he gave me this morning, so I know he told me to. I, I, I would hope that all of you would say, you know, I don't think that was God speaking. But if you did disagree, why would you? If, if it's what I hear and these verses support it, Isn't it correct? This is the rub. 
We always verify what we believe the Lord is telling us against the Bible, but against the whole Bible and not just selected verses of Scripture. I'm being really, really redundant about this because I can tell you as a pastor, when I confront most people, most Christians in the church, very rarely are they wrestling with the whole of Scripture, but they have a verse or two that they are just convinced is God telling them this is what I'm supposed to do. And when I try to bring the whole of Scripture in, they pull out their fortune cookie and say, but no, the Lord gave me this verse. In isolation, beloved, in isolation, we can make selected verses of the Bible say or imply things that they don't mean. The devil himself, when tempting Jesus, was a master at quoting scripture. And Jesus didn't say, well, that's what it says. Okay. (laughs) Jesus rebuked the devil by saying, you are manipulating the word of God. Beloved, the guiding rule is always to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture, and we can't do that if we're not in this book. We cannot do that if we are not reading and studying this book together. To help you again, to put it another way, when I, is, is how I'm reading or hearing a passage from the Bible, when I believe God is speaking to, to me, is how I'm reading or hearing a passage from the Bible consistent with the other passages that address the same issue or topic, and... And is it in general agreement with the whole of the gospel message? So taking my previous example, if I took those verses, how you would say to me, you know, I don't think that's the Lord talking. And I'd go, yeah, but it's right here. This is what Jesus said. Are the other places in scripture that speak explicitly of how one's supposed to relate and treat one's family in line with my interpretation of just this verse? Is my interpretation, what I believe God's saying to me, in line with the the gospel, the gospel message as a whole, as we hear it, no. No. Hence, my impulse to leave my family for Jesus is just that, my impulse, and not God telling me to do so. So one more time. If If God is going to be heard clearly in our lives, we must live in regular meditation upon his word. Beloved, Jesus was saturated in the scriptures. He quoted the scriptures continually. In this, as in all things, he is our model. We must, too, immerse ourselves with the scriptures, basing our thinking upon his word, filling ourselves with his word, letting God's word wash our minds clean of the world's distortions of reality. And then, in the actual experience of hearing God, when through his word he speaks to us in our quiet time, through a sermon or a devotional or some other experience, we will be able to confirm that it is truly his voice speaking in our hearts by being able to recognize a principle or theme of the gospel already written and revealed in the Bible. And when that happens... Another way you can know that God is speaking to you. When that happens, when we are listening and it is God speaking, the peace of the Lord will also be confirmation that it is his voice. Whenever God speaks, even if what he is saying is a corrective, there will always be a peace, a stillness, a contentment with it. The Lord's peace will come even when it is something we don't want to hear. Isn't it fascinating when Samuel gets a really not good message about Eli, and Eli says, look, tell me what God said. Don't hold it back from me. Tell me what God said. Samuel tells Eli the message, and Eli says, with a sense of peace and contentment, let the Lord do what the Lord's going to do. Now, you can interpret that in lots of different ways, but as we read, continue to read the story, if we were, Eli doesn't run for the hills or try to, to, there's a peace or contentment. God's in control. 
When we hear from God, there is a peace and a stillness that comes with it. To help us here, there's a difference in what I'm talking about, this peace of the Lord. There's a difference between manipulation and conviction. Manipulation is doing something against our will. It's doing something to please others. Because people keep riding us or you know, provoking us, and so we want to make them happy. We're manipulated into doing or saying something because we just want to please everybody. Or manipulation is when we try to please ourselves. We try to fool ourselves. You know, I really, 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 really want to say, tell everyone and, and tell myself that I'm eating healthy. And so, you know, those jeans that I have that are really a size 38, I take a little black pen and I put 36. Because <laughs> I really, really want to believe that I'm eating healthy and I haven't gained a few pounds. Manipulation is when we allow others to control us, we want to please them, or when we try to fool ourselves. And the net result, and this is how you know manipulation, the difference between manipulation and conviction, is when we are being manipulated by others or manipulating ourselves, the net result is no peace. There is no peace about it. There's only restlessness and frustration that eventually surfaces. I can wash those jeans, and after a while, I start to see the eight come through the six. There is no peace. But when we are convicted, when God is speaking to us, we don't feel manipulated. We may not like it. It may not be what we were thinking. There may be a wrestling with God. I'm not negating that. But in the midst of that wrestling, there is an element of peace, a contentment, a conviction. Paul puts it this way. The peace of God will rule in our hearts. God's peace is like an umpire in your heart. When we are being pushed out of our comfort zone, challenged beyond our limits, stretched more than we would ever be on our own, yet it is well with our souls, as we like to sing. I've shared with you on another occasion, and God called me to be a pastor, and it was not me coming willingly. And as I kicked, and as I screamed, and as I wrestled, and as I tried to manipulate the Lord, which is often what we try to do when we, God speaks to us, rather than being manipulated, we try to manipulate, in the midst of all of it, and even still today, there are times when I, I, I wrestle with my call as a pastor, but there is consistently, because it is God who has called me to this, a peace that is in my heart that I can't get rid of. I've tried. I've tried. It's a peace, if you know what I'm talking about, that transcends logic. It transcends our emotions. Those of us who want to make everything about logic or about how we feel, this peace transcends that. That's why scripture speaks of it. It passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense per se. But maybe like our ancestor, Martin Luther, it's that moment when in the midst of everything else that's contrary to logic or reason or emotion, we stand and say, here I stand, I can do no other. That is the peace that rules in our hearts that we can know that it is God speaking. Paul is a great example of the confirmation of this peace. Think about the life of Paul. We looked at one of Paul's letters recently, a couple of months ago. Paul, for a large part of his ministry, was in prison. He's in chains. You remember he's awaiting what's most likely a death sentence. And yet, Paul heard from the Lord daily. And that word, the constancy of God's voice speaking into his life, released Paul, in Paul's life, a peace that he wrote about that passed all understanding. He wrote to the churches. He wrote to us some of the most beautiful, the most joyous words of God's character and promises when he was being beaten, neglected, and suffering in jail. Nothing in his circumstances changed. And yet, through his regular connection with the Spirit of Christ, Paul tells us, these are his words, that he learned how to be content in all circumstances, no matter what state he was in. 
Beloved, when we hear and listen to the voice of God in our lives, so too will we experience such peace, such contentment, even when our lives are being turned completely upside down. Okay. It's one thing to know that God is speaking to me, but here's the, the final question, the big one. Because I can, I, I, I can deal with the idea that God's got something to say. And Hi, Chris. Chris, good job, Chris. Like you, Chris. Love you, Chris. I can, that's good. Chris, come on. But how do I know, and that's what this whole series has been about, testimonies we've heard, how do I know that God is calling me? How do I know that God is telling me to go and do something? He can lavish all the compliments he wants. He can say all the things of, you see this, you see that, but how do I know that God's saying, get up and go, calling me to go and do something? Well, it all begins where we've started. It all begins with the individual conversation, all that we've discussed. But it doesn't stop there. When God is speaking and calling us to something, you see it here with Samuel. Samuel needs Eli. But even beyond Eli, he needs the larger community. You heard at the end of that verse, the larger community affirmed that the word of the Lord was coming to Samuel. It begins with us. But if God is calling you to do something, that call also comes through the community that surrounds you. I know many of us don't like to hear that because it's all about me and Jesus, me and my relationship with Jesus. But part of why God calls us together as the church, and this is the part that where it gets complicated, is God speaks to the other people that are around us. That makes it really hard for us just to hear what we want to hear. If God is calling us, he speaks to us, but he also speaks through the community. And the community is the people that you trust, the people that you really know, that really know you, the people who call you on stuff. And that's why when we talk about the church as the community, we can be that, but the real community for you in this church are the people in this church who really know you. Not just because they recognize your picture in the directory. Not just because they exchange a couple of pleasantries about the SC game or, the, or whatever over donuts and coffee. I'm talking about the people in this community who you've let in, who you've been vulnerable to, who you've told them the real stuff that's going on in your life, who have permission to call you on the stuff that's going on in your life. That's the kind of community that God wants for the whole church. And that's one day the community that we will be as the church. God speaks to that kind of community. Because that's the kind of community, like Samuel, that when you think God is speaking to you, you ought to ask, can you pray for me? I believe God is saying this to me. Can you pray for me? Can you listen if God is affirming this? And I can tell you, coming here as your pastor, every time I've taken a call as a pastor, it's never been alone or just Beth and I, but we've had that community of people that we could turn to and say, will you pray? Will you listen? And we would test what we are hearing from God, how we're hearing God through the scriptures, through that community. That's what happens here. Samuel is recognized by the community. And if God calls you, the third piece, it starts with you, but it, begins, it also involves a community. If God's calling you, then God's either calling you to something or God's calling you from something. And usually if God's calling you from something, he's calling you to something. If God releases you, you're called from something, or God sends you, there's also going to be an affirmation from the community that you're going from or going to. When I was called to be your pastor, the community that I was serving, and I'm saying this humbly, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, was disappointed that I was leaving, but affirmed that God was calling me. They didn't say, you know, it's a little premature. You're not ready yet. I served as an associate pastor. I, didn't, I asked, is this too soon? You're ready. You should go. We know that God is releasing you. That community didn't want to see me go, but they affirmed it. And then the community here, that's why we took a vote. 
that vote is in many ways an expression of this community. I mean, how, how would it have been if I showed up and said one day, hey, I'm your new senior pastor, God called me. And you all said, well, he didn't say anything to us about it. That would have made a real interesting relationship. When God calls us to or from, there's an affirmation from where, to, from where we're being sent and to where we're being sent. Because God's doing the, the, the groundwork already. So in your own life, as you're wrestling with, not only is God speaking to me, but is God calling to me, the starting point is that all the things that we've talked about in your own relationship with God. But you also have to open it up to a community with, that God will also speak through. Community, like I said, of people who know you, who you allow in. And trust and know that if God is calling you to something or calling you from something, you will receive that affirmation both as you go and as you come because God lays that groundwork. It may be a surprise to you at times or to others, but there's always that element of we see God's handiwork all along. And for me, I'm still, I still marvel at in, in embracing my call here at Grace that beyond the things that I saw on the surface, the more that I talk with the call committee, the more that I look at things in hindsight, there are places in which God was clearly speaking that, and I didn't even know and leading me here and leading us together. And that's not just for pastors. It's true for all of us. I can point to smaller examples in my life. Beloved, as we end this series, there are two essential truths in Scripture, two essential truths in Scripture that are never explained, never explained, but they're always taken as a given. The first is the eternal existence of God, that God just is, that God is the beginning, the alpha and the omega, the end of all things. The second essential truth of Scripture that's never explained but always taken as a given is this, God speaks. If you flip through the pages of the Bible, you'll quickly notice a consistent and unbroken chain of communication between God and his people. It's never debated or proven, it just is. The entirety of scriptures, the scriptures witness to this. Think of Elijah, think of David, think of Nathan, think of Ezra, Jeremiah, Hosea, Isaiah. Think of how God arranged for Philip to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch. Think of John in exile on Patmos. God speaks to and through his people. All that exists does so because God spoke and because God continues speaking. And we as the church are the living body of Christ because the spirit of Jesus continues to engage us in an ongoing communicative relationship. It is the norm, not the exception, for God to speak to his people through the Holy Spirit, for we are sustained by the voice of our creator and redeemer. And so unless together and individually we listen and recognize the voice of God, his spirit prompting our spirit, unless we immerse ourselves in the Bible, being filled, shaped, and transformed by his written word, beloved, we are nothing. We are nothing. Unless we ourselves are communicators, dispensers in word and deed of Jesus' love and grace, we are, the scriptures say, empty vessels. But in Jesus Christ, the scriptures also say, we are more than this. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Together, despite whatever we may think about ourselves, however much we may believe we are incapable, together we are evangelists. 
We are prophet and priests inspired and empowered by a God who speaks to us definitively so that we can speak and stand in the midst of trial and tribulation and boldly proclaim to each other and to the world what he gives us to say or to lovingly act and do. God is speaking. Are we listening? God is calling Are we willing to follow? Beloved, let us hear and respond. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.